Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these Before You Quit podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, which provides encouragement and support to hurting pastors, people in ministry. I'm going to sit down today with a good friend of mine, Dr. and Pastor Reggie Screen or Reginald Screen to discuss race and social issues, social justice. It's going to be an honest conversation from two perspectives of two people trying to understand each other's heart and mind. Uh, a white person and a black person sitting down together and talking about really some of these hot button issues that are going on in our society today. Uh, you're going to find this to be a very honest and raw conversation. Uh, what I did is I asked some friends of mine, mainly, most of them pastors, to submit some questions. And I did share with Reggie early on here how many of us are uh, are asking a lot of questions and even wondering what's being asked of us from the black community. Uh, so we felt like this is an opportunity to really just lay out where we're at, what we're thinking, uh, a helpful, very constructive conversation. And uh, so before I jump into this, a podcast that I'm calling a white and a black pastor talk about race and social justice, uh, let me introduce Reggie to you. He is an Air Force veteran. He's been in ministry for 29 years with the Christian Missionary Alliance. He currently serves as assistant district superintendent for the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, the South Atlantic district of the denomination. Uh, also, It's also uh, now called Alliance South. Uh, additionally, Reggie has served as regional church planting coordinator, and he is part of a, a director and founder of a nonprofit called 3L Cultural Intelligent, uh, Intelligence Group, uh, LLC. I will put that link up as well. That'll be a helpful resource for you. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into that conversation right now. I think you will find this very helpful and challenging and a very necessary conversation. <music> All right, I have the privilege to have Reggie Screen, Dr. Reginald Screen. Uh, Good to have you in this conversation, Reggie. Good to be here, Mitch. All right, so tough time we're living in right now, and we're titling this uh, A White and a Black Pastor Talks Racism and Social Justice. And uh, you are a leader in the Christian Missionary Alliance. You work for the district. Uh, you are a black person yourself, so I know that the things that are happening in our culture today is, uh, you know, has a special place in your heart, a special burden. And part of the goal today is for us to understand that. And as I mentioned before we hit record, uh, I think there's also a need for uh, both sides to be understood as we seek to, to navigate through this. So we're going to get into some really tough questions here. Uh, but first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Reggie, and you know your your upbringing, and of course, maybe relative most to what is happening in culture today. From Bainbridge, Georgia, Southwest Georgia, you probably know I've heard of Bainbridge, Georgia, from uh, uh, the advertisement on TV saying uh, "country boy from uh, Southwest Georgia, Bainbridge, Georgia." His name is Kirby Smart. Okay, head coach of the UGA uh, University of Georgia football team. Gotcha. Good. Good. I was raised in North. I was raised on the Georgia-Florida line, actually 22 miles south of Bainbridge. I grew up, and so I uh, went to church in North Florida. I was saved in a Baptist church when I was about eight years old. 
And uh, from there, um, you know, raised in the church and went to the Air Force and got out, went to Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church and was licensed and ordained and felt the Lord calling me to serve kind of as a missionary to white people. And that's an interesting statement, I know, for some, um, in, in re- especially in terms of re- reconciliation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of thing. Um, so, so that was on that. that has been on your heart early on, uh, from the time that you became uh, a follower when I was of Christ. A boy, I couldn't figure out the dynamics of why, as a boy, we would grow going. We had to we passed Franklin Baptist Church, where our neighbor went to, that was all white, mm. and went to Mount Hosea Baptist Church, which was all black. And I was always some sense of my conscious moments trying to figure out the dynamics of why we say one thing from a biblical perspective, but demonstrate quite another mm. in pra- practically speaking. So I couldn't, I wanted to figure out why all the pictures of Jesus were white and uh, look at people from the Middle East and then look at Jesus. And I said, it didn't look like that. So I, you know, I just, I was just trying to figure it out. Uh, why every angel had to be white, why God, the father, that, big strong person great beard picture of him sitting on the clouds in the Mm -hmm. sky why did he have to be white and so as a boy trying to figure it out and so the lord called me to uh, go to central Gwinnett alliance church so i went from a 8,000 member 99.9 percent black church to an all-white church um, with dan hedinger and mike plunkett Mm mm-hmm from there, the Lord led me to Gainesville, Georgia, to pastor uh, a church that had never had a white black member, let alone a black pastor, mm-hmm. which was um, McEver Road Alliance Church. It was not one time known as Gainesville Alliance Church, and uh, I think it changed names a few times. So that's kind of my um, history in a, in the short and dirty of it. Yeah, so you you pushed through a lot. Uh what were describe what that was like? What were some of the hard things that you had to uh to 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 go through to get where you are now because you you are you are currently a a, a staff member for the district of our denomination. You also yeah. have your doctorate. Uh talk a little bit maybe just briefly how hard it was to uh to to, to accomplish that. Well, yeah, you know, I found out real quick that <clears throat> you you basically had to be learn the culture and pretty much put on the honorary white garb to have any kind of success hmm. in 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 the culture that I'm dealing in. Um, and uh, so I studied the culture well, learned the hymns, learned the choruses. I remember Diane Hedinger telling me one day, "Man, you." it seemed like they ought to be studying hard, trying as hard as you to learn you, your culture. And you were studying really hard and trying really hard to learn that culture. And I, mm. I think that was what it's about. That's what it has to be about. Yeah. I experienced some racism. I was some good old boys that didn't, uh, I would say more, more so uh, personal prejudice because mm-hmm. uh, racism has the idea to deal with the system of power. And so, um, now, on the indi- individual level, it was more prejudice and bigotry. I remember two old boys, good old boys, that I would, uh, uh, they're probably dead now. But I remember for the first five years being in Now, don't say that with a smile on your face, Reggie. <laughs> no, no, I'm just I'm, I'm kidding. It. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about thinking about the, you know, hopefully they're with the Lord, but. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. 
uh, I'm just thinking about how I finally broke the stalemate. And so for about five years that I saw him, I would see him at district conferences. They would have a scowl on their face and, mm. you know, and they never would speak. And so one day I just hemmed him up when I'm up in the bathroom and I just walked up to it and stuck out my hand. It mm. scared him half to death. Yeah. I said, hey, I'm Reggie Screen. I've been seeing you for five, six years and we've never spoken. I just want to introduce myself to you. And, and uh, of course he had to extend, but it was that yeah. sort of thing. Why, know, why do you think, help us understand, what was in your mind that explained that kind of attitude towards you? Uh, he's probably was in his late 70s, 80s. Hmm. And so probably in his mind, I didn't belong where he belonged, where, where he was. Um, I just know that they, and they, they just never would speak. They mm. spoke to everybody else, but they never would speak. I remember um, being with Mike Plunkett, uh, and it was a church in um, in uh, Brookhaven that Mike was working with, and uh, not the previous two DSs, not the previous DS, not this DS or the previous DS, the DS before that. I won't call any names, but I just I I, I saw the game, how the game was played. And Mike was so excited. He, he came to the DS and he said, we had over a hundred and some people here the other night at Brookhaven and, 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 um, and so many, so many got saved and the DS didn't without a bat of an eyelash. He said, well, yeah, well, how many of them were white? Oh, wow. You know, wow. and so it, it just, what, what kept it, you, what kept you around? I mean, what, why well, did I you... felt like the Lord called me here for two things. I mean, I fell in love with, because I had never heard of the Alliance. I fell mm -hmm. in love with the, the Christ life's message. Christ mm -hmm. is my life. And uh, I, I love what Simpson did back in Kentucky and, and 13th Street Presbyterian Church and the gospel and the fullness of gospel, the gospel used, you know, the Italians were the blacks of today mm -hmm. back then. And it didn't matter. The fullness of Christ called, called him to reach the least of these and to champion the least of these. And to and it was the overflow of that that led to missions and and that sort of deal, his experience with the Holy Spirit. So I felt like I was called to that. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I saw all three things that I'm called to do. What was it's that not, call? Was that sense of calling enough to to keep you from becoming angry? Uh, or maybe even better. Or did, how did you fight that? Uh, because you're, dealt you're... With this my whole life, man. Mm. Well, I've what kept you? This. What what kept you loving people through all of that? I don't know. You know, I was just just mm. the love of God. I, my grandfather was a great ex example. I got angry a few times when he would be treated like uh, with disrespect. He was the greatest. Yeah. He's the greatest man I know. And to see him disrespected by a lot of younger white people, I got angry at that when I was a boy and, and said that I, I never wanted that to happen to me. I never would yeah. tolerate that. But I saw how he dealt with people. And so he gave me this affirmation of the dignity of every human being. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I mean, like, I, I get pretty salty with some guys on Facebook right now, but it's never a, a brother that has a genuine answer. It's a brother that will posit himself like a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. And I'll take kind of the approach Jesus did. He'll, you know, I'll put a woe on him or I'll, I'll put a, you know, I'll come back pretty hard, uh, not out of bitterness or saltiness or whatever. It's just, I just love people. 
um, I've, I've been taught to love people, and the love, it's the love of God in my heart. I mm. Well, let, let's, let's go ahead and go there. You're referring to the current events and dialoguing with someone on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, what, what, is, what is your greatest, uh, I, I first of all frame this, and I, I will frame it this way, that, uh, you know, asking you what makes you angry right now, uh, but, but with that, what are you most burdened about as you're, uh, you know, as we're processing as believers and as you're processing as a Christian leader, uh, you know, navigating the, the, the current events, the reactions we're seeing, uh, and then where this is going to lead is, is really just, uh, you know, having some, you know, laying out some hard questions that, that we in the white evangelical church are asking right now as we're trying to figure out what this means for us. But, but start with that. What is, what is your burden? What's in your heart? And even maybe talk about what, what's making you angry. Yeah, yeah, I would say the thing that gives me the most frustration would not be the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan is supposed to be what they're <laughs> supposed to be. They, they hate black people. And, and it's not even the white supremacists and Richard Spencer are supposed to do that. Tony Evans, I once heard him say, the sinners are supposed to sin. The problem is the saints who are not supposed who are not supposed to sin are often more sinful than the sinning sinners. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to, to summarize that is that my biggest if, uh, frustration is that from the white evangelical part, just this has been consistent throughout the years. It's it's cold. It seems cold. It seems careless. As I care, I can care less about your situation. It it posits itself as naive. I don't really know what's going on. Um, and uh, it's indifferent and it's has the like lack of uh, empathy. If any group should be um, one that models compassion and empathy and empathic listening and 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 careful forensic type investigation, it should be our white evangelical brothers who have been given the tools to do so through education and research, but also who, who posit and put forth ideas of theology and the love of God, love of God and biblical um, um, inerrancy and missions. You know what I'm saying? So any group should be able to do it. It should be, it should be Christian. So that, that. Okay. That, All right. Well, here, here's where we're at. Yeah. And so our, our, our purpose here today is, is to, uh, you speak to the white evangelicals and, but yes. my role is going to be to present to you some of the questions we're having as we're seeking to understand mm-hmm. what's being asked of, of us. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I did this is I asked uh, four or five uh, guys, I think they were all pastors. One, one is not uh, to uh, supply. I didn't tell them a whole lot of what I was doing, just that I was interviewing mm-hmm. you. And uh, I don't think, I think maybe one knows you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they, these are, and my, my role here is to be rather neutral. I mean, I, I might come back with a question, maybe push back on something. Because one of the things I think we, we need help with, and, and maybe, forgive me for putting it this way, you need help with is for, for us to be able to say, hey, we're a little confused of what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a little concerned uh, that if we speak up in any way or ask questions, that there's kind of an underlying racist tone there. I even heard uh, someone on TV say, I think it's someone a little bit more on the left that said, if you're not anti-racist, you're racist. So unless you're really out there in the forefront of this and, and pushing hard and protesting, 
anything shy of that, you know, you're a racist. Uh, so I, I, you know, we're sort of left here wondering, okay, what are, we're tentative, we're unsure, we're gun shy. Uh, so here's some questions that uh, I think will will help uh, us, but I think maybe help you understand us. If that, let if me that let me say sense. something before you say that too, so Absolutely. people sure. are gonna have a good understanding for me. Yeah. about me. Um, I I normally I'm not I don't take a binary approach. Uh, I'm not an either or. I'm kind of a both and. Mm-hmm. I do think people are on a journey. I think there are people who know what's going on for the most part, and uh, that's more enlightened, and they don't care. But I think there are some people who the game has been run on them too as well, and they need to be mm-hmm. exposed and ed- get exposure and education so they can make informed decisions about what's going on. Um, another thing is that um, I I, I uh, try to vote issues, even though I'm registered as a Republican and been a Republican for the last 30 something years. Uh, every year I threaten to go independent because it seems to be out of step with a lot of what I believe, but m- most of my core convictions are conservative in nature, right? So mm-hmm. whether you talk about reproductive rights, uh, I'm more conservative in nature, whether you talk about fiscal responsibility, small business stuff, that sort of deal. So, mm. so I just want to set the stage so somebody don't think because what happens is this this binary deal deal going either you're on the left or on the right, but some of us are in the middle. Yeah, that that's helpful. That's helpful. Well, let's start with this. What do you? Someone asked this question. Okay. What do you think God is doing uh, through the events of the past six months? And uh, you know, what is He trying to say to us as individuals, as a nation, or maybe as a planet? And what I would add to that is how do you view what is happening today in light of Jesus's prophecy in Matthew 24, 12, where he talks about lawless, lawlessness will increase and most people's love will grow cold. Uh, so, yeah, what, what's, as, as uh, you know, who are we to, all, you know, sometimes we cannot understand what God is doing. But sure. as believers, we're grasping for this. You know, we, we know scripture has told us that in the last days, there will be confusion, chaos, uncertainty. Christians are going to be challenged to understand what it means for them, what their role is in, in this, how they should navigate this. Yes, I think uh, I think the Lord is right in the middle of this. This is a wonderful Thankfully. opportunity for the church. <laughs> it's, this yeah. is a wonderful opportunity for the church. Mm-hmm. If we would l- lose our life that so we can get gain it, it would be great for us. But if we're caught here trying to protect the system and protect our stuff, it's going to be a long day for us. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so we're called to be the new man, the beloved community is what we're called to be. Right. We are not that right now. So this is an opportunity when the persecution happened where back in uh, you see in the Acts 11 or whatever, you know, the Lord's mandate was to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And um, we know in Matthew 29 and 28, he says that all people go in and in, into all people groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's what some almost seventeen um, thousand people groups now, sixteen thousand seven hundred or something, I believe. We see that's the Lord's heart. You go all the way back to Genesis uh, twelve, right? When He talks to Abraham and gives him that commission, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's that's the name of my organization that I have this for civil rights and for racial reconciliation. It's called 3L Cultural Intelligence Group. And it says you saw those three L's that God gave Abraham to basically 
leave leveraging so he can love all people well for an opportunity, as Galatians says, give, give him Christ. So the Lord is right in the midst of this, right in the midst of it. And so your second part of your question that has to do with uh, lawlessness. See, I think that's a matter of perspective. I think if you were born in the Roman, Roman days when they were hanging people on the side of the road and you had the smelly stench of dead bodies and Caesar was God in people's eyesight, they would have said, this, this is that. If you brought those people in today's time, they would say, this is wonderful, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective, yeah. Yeah, Incas and the, uh, Az the Mayans and the Aztecs when they were the sun worship or, or you, uh, and, and killing babies, right? Or if you, get, uh, if you go back to my ancestors' days when, when they were being brought over with chains around their necks or the women being raped mm -hmm. and that works 18 hours and 16 hours in the field with no pay, and you brought them to today, they will say, oh, this is grand. They would call that lawlessness. And so it's a matter of perspective in my mind. Yeah, and even, even for us as a nation, but closer to home, if you compare what's going on now to uh, integration and, you know, what was going on or segregation, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, how, how do you, so again, this is something that may be more prone to come from, from us on, uh, who are white, uh, to say, you know, hey, we're reacting to things that are going on in culture. Uh, you know, you'll probably hear this a lot. These are isolated incidences. And, but but the, the entire, not just the country's erupting, even London or England has had huge protests. Uh, you know, France, I was watching. England, Germany. Yeah, yeah, England. yeah. I was, I, you know, I'm, one of the things I'm excited about right now, this is going to be, sound extremely unchristian. Uh, but soccer is back. English soccer mm -hmm. is back. And I watched mm -hmm. the first game yesterday and, and uh, all the jerseys uh, have, uh, you know, all uh, Black Lives Matter in the back mm -hmm. of them. So it's mm -hmm. been an amazing uh, mm -hmm. reaction to, again, what we would consider to be isolated events. Mm -hmm. um, what's going on there? I mean, as best as you can. What, uh, and I, I would like to go back again to what, what God is saying through this, uh, but I want to get your reaction to that first, because that would help us, because I think there's a lot of people confused. That how, yeah. how, there's just this um, massive reaction to something that doesn't even pale in comparison to what was yeah, going on in the 60s. Well, maybe it's kind of sort of. You know, people would say that, uh, you know, Jim Crow, uh, was probably almost worse than slavery because at least slavery, you know, the, the master had a vested interest in keeping you alive because of you were his property. But in the Jim Crow and inmate leasing system for jaywalking, you can go and, and, and be hired out for 25 cents a day and you'll work there and the car charges keep getting trumped up until you die. Mm -hmm. Right, and you work in there, and so because now the slave master didn't have a vested interest in you, and neither did the government, you know. So, so it, again, it's a matter of perspective. Um, it's it's bad. I mean, I got my own personal experiences with the law, and every law person is not bad, right? I mean, but you could have a system. See, look at Caesar, Caesar, and that system of Rome was tough, right. But there was a centurion uh, soldier there that had compassion for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so we need to de delineate and distinguish between individual. See, there are four governments that sh are shown in the Bible in my mind. 
the, I need to govern myself, self-government, individual. Then there's family government. I need to teach your children how, right? Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 6, right? And then there is faith government, Israel in the Old Testament, and then you see the church in the New Testament. And then there's a civil government. And so we need to be able to delineate between the four of them. And we have direct personal responsibility and impact in three of them right now. It's much much more of a much larger process um, for the fourth one. And in my mind, Mitch, white people have been socialized to run the system, right? Just like we are socializing capitalism in Russia and China, they are socializing communism. But somebody has to run the system. And this system works, it's three tier. So it's not just race, it's class. Race was created to keep class going, right? I mean, until the 1400s, Spanish Inquisition, and then um, the 1600s, you didn't hear much about uh, white, black, right? And so, mm-hmm. so, so, so it's more of this, this uh, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I'll call it later. Um, so it's this class system that 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 is happening here and and so you have to be told certain things and you've been socialized towards individualism and so so it could be five thousand black guys that get um that get killed and the average black white person will say yeah that's an individual act right mm-hmm. um because you're socialized for individualism and okay, so, so, black, so, yeah, so go ahead, black, go ahead, finish like, your thought. Like if I see a, a black person, part of our culture is if somebody comes in, a black dude comes in, let's say he got his uh, uh, pants hung, hung, hanging down like that, and I go, why is he acting like he's messing us up, man? You, you mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's, 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 it's when I see a black person and I meet his eyes, his eyes meet mine, it's like I see you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so so and I see him. So it's it's more of a collective deal. Um, and and so there's a system that's operating that if you let the numbers bear it out, you see, um, you know, some people use the numbers to say no. And then some numbers say yes. Mm-hmm. But personal experience says that I get treated much work, much differently than my white colleague gets treated. Yeah. In a and number I, of ways. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, you know, back to when I was talking about this, one incident has created such an eruption of reaction. Uh, I think they're reacting, reacting not just to that incident, but to everything that continues to go on that, uh, you know, is, is apparently unjust. Uh, so let, let's talk about someone else. Oh, by the way, I, uh, back to what God is doing uh, through these events, my my son and I have uh, a lot of conversations about these sort of things, and uh, he's accustomed to me talking about how does the gospel address this. And uh, you know, again, this is rather simplistic to say this, and I I, I think I've got some follow up questions related to this. Uh, but as there is, you know, again, it's relative. It is relative to other periods in history. But every everything that's happening in culture is an opportunity for us as believers. Uh, to present the gospel, to react by the gospel, um, and where there is chaos and unsettledness, 
uh, as particularly, and this is what I was talking to my son about is, is, you know, people, people need to know about Jesus during this time. And, uh, they, they need to know who he is and that he, he entered into a world, uh, because it was messed up like this. And, and he, he took on himself, uh, that injustice, uh, you know, so I, I'd like to get back to that in a little bit. Um, but I, I do want to, there was another question about this good segue to where you're talking about these injustices. We, we hear a lot about social justice. In fact, before we hit record, you asked me how I would define social justice. And I was like, uh, 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 <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, I understand how other people use it. I, I don't know if I clearly understand. Um, but I, I know I'm hearing pastors and one of the questions that, that came up and I don't know if this was in the original, uh, form or sheet that I gave you, uh, but the question was, or the statement was, that social justice is is becoming the new gospel. So, in other words, sin is racial inequality. The gospel is social justice. Uh, how do you respond to that? I would ask them how they are defining the gospel, and they don't get to manipulate the words like they want to manipulate mm-hmm. the words. Yeah. But well, we again, again, just to, just to be fair, Reggie, um, yeah. uh, part of this is just to let you know what people are thinking, what people sure, are sure, saying. Sure, yeah. sure. And I'm not. So, and, and, I'm yeah. not angry about it in any kind of way. I'm just I'm no, just you don't look at the words. So <laughs> sure, let's look at sure. the gospel. The, yeah. the gospel. The gospel. When I look at the gospel, it's the fullness of the gospel, right? And so what was God's original intention? God's original intention, he created man, he placed man in the garden. Uh he wanted man, he wanted to rule and reign in man, right? Through uh him living in and through man. That's in the mm-hmm. garden, right? Mm-hmm. So that's God's original intention. Secondly, we have the fall. Satan uh, deceived uh, the woman. The woman gave Adam to Adam. He took intentionally, and the world was plunged into sin. Some people call it total depravity. You know, and some people debate about total and all that. I, I don't want to get into all that, but we know the world is fallen and it's helpless, and no one can save it save God Himself. And so God came in the person of a man. Uh, through the generations, stepped down through the generations in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on an old Roman's cross, and he died for me, and and he rose again from the dead. And when he rose again from the dead, he said, listen, he says, um, he told Mary, uh, uh, whichever one of the ladies, he said, don't touch me for I must ascend to my father and your father, my God mm-hmm. and your God. Mm-hmm. And so when, and when, when he got up, we got up. Paul says in Galatians sure. 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live and Christ lives in me. Then he said, in the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he Amen. says something. Mm. He says, now I do not nullify, short circuit, unplug the grace of God. For if right standing righteousness could be gained by my performance, my human effort, Christ died needlessly. So you have a full redemption. You got original intention. We have the fall. We have redemption. Now he wants to do renewal through us. And that's the restoration of all things through the church. The heavens alike and the earth. Demons and angels and people are looking at the demonstrative life of Christ as he continues his incarnation through the body of Christ, right? Living out here, yeah. then everywhere. 
Okay, so I know I'm a little bit preaching now, but I just wanted to set the stage of what the gospel is. So the gospel is a good news of the complete, completeness of Jesus Christ from original intention to renewal in the end. And that includes Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. A.B. Simpson said the whole gospel for the whole man. So that includes theological, psychological, sociological, you understand, eschatological, the whole nine yards, whole kit and caboodle, soteriological, all the logicals you want to put in there. So, so social gospel, social justice. Justice has this idea of, it has two folds on it. One is rendering to everyone that which is due in an impartial way. So social justice, socially rendered to everybody what is due in an impartial way. And it also had the sign side of the second side of the quarter of the coin is do what is right and fair and just and equitable in every single case. So social justice, socially, don't be impartial and do what is right and in fair and just. And you want to know what black people are in arms about from lending to housing to uh, school to church everywhere. It's been injustice. It's not been just. And it goes back. I mean, my goodness, King was murdered in 1968. I'm 53. If I were four years younger, older, I would have been I would have been around at colored water fountains, had to go around the back of the building, to use I mean, the bathroom. I couldn't sit in the seat. If I walked past you, I had to move out of your way. That's not a just society. We got black, the AME church came into being because uh, the, the, when people came to Christ in that day, the, the, the free people, they said, you might be able to be what's in heaven, but you can't sit in with these seats with us now, right? And so Charles Allen said, no, we can't do that. And they started their own church called African Methodist Episcopal Church. So it's been unjust, Mitch, from pillar to post, even the creation of the uh, Constitution of the United States. The Supreme Court Justice said back in 1859 when he was sitting, he said the black man has no white rights that the white man is bound to respect. When the framers wrote the Constitution, he said they did not have you in mind. It's been unjust since the beginning, and nobody's corrected it. You had a few situations like the Civil Rights Deal, right? That brought a little correction. They brought the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. Those were for black people to bring correction, but they had to give amendments to try to do this thing right. So how would we you, how would, how would we you respond? Yeah, how would you respond to the statement that, in, that we, we will always live with injustice? There will always be, uh, you know, a level of, of confusion and chaos and lawlessness. And even again, you know, Christ's, uh, you know, prophetic statement that there will be, you know, lawlessness will increase and the hearts will, will grow cold. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is that does not take away the, the need for the church to seek for that, that, that part of the gospel is uh, correcting what is wrong and, and seeking justice for the oppressed. Yeah. One day I'm going to die. Yeah. That don't mean I don't eat right. That don't mean I don't put on my seatbelt. That yeah. don't mean I don't lock my doors at night, right? I so is there, is, there, 
is there a message to so as as black people talk to each other uh is there the message to of, of hope uh, of you know trust christ or you know we live in a world that's in, that's unjust and will continue to be uh let's continue to to trust christ to to lean on each other um, that's been the message of, of hope for black people since the From inception. the beginning, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's no way you could under, you could stand under that pressure. You cannot survive without that, yeah, yeah. See, Mitch, there has been what people don't understand is like, there has been such trauma in, in the black family. Uh, I mean, I mean, just trauma when, when you could, when the mask can come and get your daughter and your wife, and you better not say anything, or your son and sleep with them and, and produce offspring, you can, or he took your wife and, and, and mated them with the son because you got large offspring. Nobody has ever corrected yeah. though, uh, brought any psychological help. It, you know, you got, but one lady calls it post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's the mm -hmm. same symptoms of post-traumatic stress syndrome. So you're saying that's been passed on to generation after generation. Trans transgenerational. Okay, so let's talk about sins let's talk about lessons. yeah, let's talk about the the other side of that the the culpability of the whites uh, to that that that's been seems what is said that that's been also inherited. We hear Terry, this is another question someone came up with is we hear the words uh, white guilt or that whites should uh, evaluate their own hearts if if there's any uh, you know, in, in, in a racism in the, in them, uh, or any way that they might be responsible. Uh, hidden racism is another term that's used. You, you use the term unconscious bias. Uh, help us understand this better. And here we're honing in. I, th I think it's something that's really key is what is being asked of us today, right now. Okay. So first of all, everybody's prejudiced. You prejudge everybody. I'm prejudiced. You're prejudiced. There's no such thing as a pre non-prejudiced people person and people have certain bigotries right you know we might not be to the point of george jefferson and archie bunker but we have some certain bigotries but racism is a system racism is is prejudice and bigotry codified okay and so um and let's just put it like this right here uh, one guy said you're probably not white unless you could pick up the phone and dictate wall street right and so again, whiteness is a is a social construct, right? You, you you may manage the system, not even you know you have sins of omission and sins of commission. And so and so, I think that's the same thing in um, in the whole racial dynamic. Some people are just doing things and going along, running the system. They don't know, you know, they really don't understand what's going on. And so my deal is that. I believe that there's such thing a healthy guilt. I believe the Bible talks a bit that it says that he took our shame mm -hmm. upon him himself. And the Jew we used to risk double shame on a person because shame has the idea of damaged goods. Guilt has the idea of pointing you to something that's wrong, that if you see, yep, that's wrong, you can bring repentance to that. And so I, I'm not against black guilt or white guilt. I mean, I think if it's healthy, it's healthy. Someone used to say, if the shoe fits, what? Wear it. So you only you know what's in your heart. And okay, I so, know what's in my heart. So as these, these high-profile incidences have happened, and because and, I one of the 
things I listened to right away was the president of our denomination having a panel conversation. And one of the calls was that we should, uh, we should really uh, evaluate our own hearts. And, uh, and let's say someone says, oh, yes, this incident that's high profile has really revealed to me that I have a tendency of, of uh, may, maybe making a judgment about someone when I see them. Um, you use the term creating the solution together. Um, yeah. So again, back to that question, what, what's being asked of us? How, how do, and this is a question someone brought up, but w- what are we repenting of? And also, how do we do that? What would it take? It's probably throwing in too many questions mm-hmm. for the anger to go away. For me? No, no, no. Um, I think that just, no, I, I, I don't think you're okay, angry. So what, what, I, I think you're burdened. What would, burdened. What would, to what, for, uh, justice, justice, a fair and equitable and right system that is impartial in the way it meets out resources, impartial in the way it meets out uh, uh, punishment, and uh, uh, it's equal opportunity. You see, when people hear the word like white privilege, they get all off in that because white privilege doesn't have to do with the idea that you haven't worked hard. White privilege has to do with you didn't have to have to overcome the racial dynamic and obstacles to get where you were uh, right. or where you are. You, you understand what I'm saying? Sure, so, sure. So we can learn the terms. What can you do? Be less defensive. Go on a listening campaign. Read a couple books that are outside your your little conservative genre like because i noticed what happens is that if a book is not approved by a certain uber conservative group or a review then you want people some of my guys won't even read the book mm-hmm. i'm leading um a group of presbyterians and some different people across the country um through uh, a book club called uh, uh the book is called white fragility i told them it's mm-hmm. not theological in its approach it's sociological in this approach and then the issue ain't to shame you the issue is to have a conversation the issue is to get you woke if you're not woke the issue is to have a good dialogue because see i feel like we need to ally you not beat you mm-hmm. it makes sense to you if you if your posture is one of the Pharisees, then we we, we don't walk we don't walk together anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to really understand what's going on, I feel like black people need to be be, be kingian uh, like Martin Luther King in our approach and practice nonviolence, which most pe- black people are willing to do, and uh, ally you to educate you, expose and educate you to what really is happening. All right. Another another question someone asked here was: Does a person have to repent for sins that they did not commit? Uh, and is there a biblical example of that? You know, for for instance, does a does a white person have to repent for racism or slavery that he himself did not commit? So now we're talking again about the four different governments, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now we're talking about the four different governments, and so now when we talk about church and, and national. So, um, yeah, again, we're, we're speaking mainly to the, you know, white evangelical here. Yes. And so we see Ezra identification repentance in Ezra nine verses 16 through 15. We see Daniel's identification repentance. He didn't do anything wrong in Daniel chapter, uh, one in chapter nine, um, um, 
we see Isaiah repenting upon, on, on behalf of all Israelites in Isaiah 6, 5. Jeremiah confessed the sins of his generation and his forefathers in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 25, and chapter 14, verses 7, and verse 20. Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen, which we repeat mm-hmm. a lot. Sure. God says, you do four things, I'll do three, right? That didn't have like, this is happening right now. That's kind of like some stuff that's been coming along the pike for a, a while. Um, you know, um, Abraham talked about in Genesis fifteen six about the cup of the Amorites reaching its full measure, right? And so mm-hmm. that took a minute to do. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23 that, that the Pharisees, they fill up, he so filled up the measure of the sins of your sin of your forefather. And so I can just go on and on and on mm-hmm. and on and on. And so, yes, there is something called identification repentance that is, I think, um, that's good for us to, to do. Uh, so, so a church uh, is moved to do that, to have a service where they have a kind of a solemn assembly and, and, uh, you know, and maybe they talk about this and maybe there's some testimonies of people who, uh, you know, like yourself, who've gone through this. Um, re- and there's that repenting. What, what, what is the outcome? What has happened? What has changed? Uh, I think it's just a significant spiritual movement first that opens up the ground for change to happen, mm-hmm. you know? So it's posturing of humility, inviting God to work through, yes. through the collective body. Okay. All right. That's good. That, I, I appreciate that, Reggie. And I, I love the, the scriptures that, uh, that you gave. Um, let, me, let me continue here because there's so many questions. Okay, so um, th- this is, again, a, a really raw question, and I'm, I'm going to bring it up because it, it's just out there, and maybe these are things that are distracting from the main issue, um, but it could also be yeah. that, you know, getting past this allows us to focus on the main issue. And this is about just the broad, this is not about the church or white evangelicals, but just just generally what, uh, you know, people's reaction to what's happening in culture. But you've seen this, and, I, and obviously you saw it in what I sent you. But this person says the stats are clear. 53% of violent crimes committed by 7% of the population. 93% of blacks murdered are by other blacks. The abortion rate in black community is staggering. Over 70% black children born to single moms. And uh, here's the question. Why, why don't we see... Uh, this passion of resistance placed on these things, um, are they not greater injustices to, uh, you know, perhaps what is right now the big story, and that's the, you know, the mistreatment by cops or mistreatment just generally by, uh, towards black people? Okay, have fun, so with, have fun with that one, Reggie. So, have fun with that one. Yes. <laughs> so here's the deal. You, for, there's cause and effect. And we're always trying to answer the problem out here, but you can really, you have to go back to not the fruit level, but the root level. So you, st- you go, why? You go with the five whys. Why, 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 why? Why is this? Initially, I talked to you about the multi-generational trauma. I'm surprised more black people aren't killing. Mm. I'm surprised more black people aren't angry. I'm surprised most, most black people forgive at all. You take the deal that happened today over at the church in South Carolina right? 
I mean, I didn't see the white church at all come up and lock their arms and mourn with the with black folks, you know. One of them mm -hmm. was a state senator, I believe, right? Um, it was just, and so I'm surprised because of the trauma that's in, right? The abuse that's happened, right? Of uh, the, the, um, the practices that are biased. I'm surprised. You see, one thing a person's going to do, like you take a male, let's take a, 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 a semi-healthy black male. Let's say, like my brother, my brother, Richard, fantastic. He's probably one of the best, he's probably the best of a lot. Best of a lot. Had one real big problem. He loved friends. Okay, so he always, when he got in trouble, when he got kicked out of school, he was hanging out with a boy. He's a football player, good. Hanging out with his friends, right? Got back to Albany, Georgia, start doing uh, 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 marijuana and stuff like that, selling marijuana. Broad, broad, uh, I forget who it was, had zero strikes and you're out. Bam, felony. So it took a bright boy, bright, bright, maybe, again, maybe the best of the lot between all the brothers, and put a felony on his record. They shouldn't have been doing that. The penalty was so stiff on that. Put a felony on his record, and now he is, he's doing pretty good. He's working and whatever, working hard. But, but he's either going to do three things. One, he's going to do what he's doing now, work hard, get a job. Or he's going to say, you know what? Screw the system. I can't work in the system. And he turns to a life of crime, right? Or he's going to – he can't turn to public assistance because he probably he can't get it because that's a felony. You see what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. the, the system is so jacked up. What you're getting is a manifestation. Now, that's no excuse to stay where we stay because you got to have personal responsibility, right? I always tell people, okay, it is what it is. I can put the excuse on my parents until I get 20. Then I got to find a way to work it out. And so, uh, yes, but I also want to say it's not binary again. It's not either or, right? We should fix, we should, we should fix the, the, the pathology of brokenness, the unhealed post-traumatic slave syndrome. We should have mental health counselors. We should, we should do all that stuff, and we should fix the other broken parts of the system. Mm -hmm. So if I got high blood pressure or diabetes, which one do I fit, try to fix, right? It's not binary. I fix both of them. I go after both of them because both of them have, have the, the, it has, has impact on my life. Am I making sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, what, what I'm hearing is you're, you're communicating to the black community, uh, you know, two things. Uh, you, could, you could blame them for this. Uh, maybe there's some rationale for that but you need to to work through this push through it so what is, what is the message then from black leaders like yourself to uh people like that who are like your brother uh on on you know the raw end of the of the deal you know the 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 again we see this with a criminal system i agree with that it's it's definitely in, in, unjust it's it's imbalanced uh, you know, because you, you, again, you can do things, it's their fault, it's their fault, or, uh, yeah, that's true, but hey, this is what you need to do. What, what's the message? And particularly, how does it's the gospel, like, how does the gospel the, direct yes, that message? The gospel, the gospel goes to Samaria, but goes to where the demoniac is, mm -hmm. right? Um, um, and, and the gospel brings healing. I mean, when you look at mm -hmm. mental health, the church led the way in that initially, yeah. Uh, when you look at 
there will be no black people wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for the sector of the Christian community that was that was white that became the abolitionist. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And so my deal is to ally, ally, ally. Listen, get to know him. If you got to know my brother, he's probably the best of the best of the mm. of the best. I mean, tender-hearted, family guy loves but he gonna have the tattoos on his arm now you know he's gonna have all this stuff so you got to don't judge him first get to know him and then figure out how you can take your privilege what's your privilege the opportunity to function in a place without having to overcome the obstacles of racial dynamics yeah well that's your the gospel privilege. it's loving it's loving your neighbor yes. and helping your neighbor yeah that's good me, yeah i love me, that let me i tell, love that yeah let me tell you about a man who uh, was a Christian, probably a deacon in his church. His name was Grady White. If I remember correctly, Grady was born the same month, the same day, day, and the same year as my grandfather, 1909. My grandfather had a couple of hundred acres farm, two or three hundred acres farm. Grady had probably a 1,200 acre farm. We used to have a party line. Grady was stoned. One day, my brother and I, we were young, and he we were probably five or six years old, four or five. Grady stormed down there. He was mad because we didn't even get off the phone. And he told him, Roosevelt, you're going to get these boys because I always wanted to kill me two little ends, right? <laughs> now, uh-huh. this is this is a, this is my socialization. This is my coming up, right? Mm. So Grady White, though, over the years, she started seeing Grady White do something different. Yeah, he used to love to fish the Flint River. Every Saturday, he'd come with a bucket of catfish and brim give the roosevelt they became very 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 good friends well this is probably late seventies. grady white said i'm gonna do something that i should have done a long time he pulled my uncle levon and my grandfather whom i call daddy to him to himself and said listen here's what i want you to do I want you, when you get ready to take your livestock to market, put them on my trailer. I want you, when you get ready to take your produce to market, I want you to put them in my wagon. They said, why is that? He said, because all these years I've been getting twice as much as you've been getting, and I'm just tired of it. Mm. I want to I make a change. Mm. Mm. So you advocate. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know absolutely. Yeah. Let me tell you who did this for me. When I first came to the Christian and Missionary Alliance uh, here in the South Atlantic District, I was the only piece of pepper in the room. You know what I mean by that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Salt, pepper, euphemism. Yep, I got it, Reggie. <laughs> okay. And I had been licensed on a Dane, and it was done thoroughly and properly. And so I went up and I met with the guys. And they said, okay, okay, we got us a regular A.W. Tozer here, is what I remember they saying to me. <laughs> and so what did you want to be and do? I said, well, I've always I wanted to, I, th- I thought about I wanted to be in civil rights or something like that, uh, like Martin Luther King. Said, oh, oh, no, you don't want to do that, be that now, still, still want to be that, do you? Uh, and uh, <laughs> so it kind of threw me. Okay. They said, okay, I passed with flying colors. They said, but you need your 30 hours of Bible, 20 hours of Bible. So I was working full-time, um, working part-time at Central Gwinnett Alliance Church, and 
they were going to make me go to school to get the Bible, and I had a young family. I came back to Atlanta. I got a call from Jim Bowback, the moderator of the LONCC. He said, Reggie, I'm convicted. What we did to you was not right. They should have sustained your ordination. It's not right. I'm going to go back and advocate for you, and I'm going to write this wrong. He said, if you were spoke another language, I, I said, I'm sad to say, we would have put you in the intercultural dist uh, ministries district. And the only problem with that, there would be no resources and very little influence in the larger body. Jim Bowback went to bat for me and saved me massively. They sustained mm. my automation. Mm. Yeah, I, I think when, when again, this whole notion of, of evaluating my own heart and uh, is there any unconscious bias? You know, individuals, and I've, I'm I'm hearing this a lot from people that this is this has woken them up. Some say, "Hey, d d I, I need to be looking for people that I can help." Uh, I mean, for me, one of the things I I tend to do is just a, a small uh, you know discipline on my part. If I see someone walking and it's obvious that they don't have a car and they're carrying groceries, I'm going to stop by and pick them up. And it it's it's something that. I, I believe it for one thing it opens up doors for conversation uh, but it's an it's an encouragement to that person and so because I think one of the things Reggie that we're overwhelmed with is is when we're back to this question what are you asking from us not you but but more the the black yeah. community it's too overwhelming it's like well I can't change the justice system I can't you know I can't and I, I love your idea of the the four um, the, the structures of leadership or I, I forget government that you laid out mm -hmm. earlier, but it's, that's great encouragement that, I mean, you've been a benefit of someone advocating for you and, and we shouldn't, we should not minimize the importance of the small things that we can do. Uh, because again, a lot of this seems hugely overwhelming to us. It's too big. And even for, you know, a church or even a denomination to try to change the, the system, as it were, is, is too much. But again, the gospel compels us to respond to those who are in front of us and, and to look for those who, who are needy and need help. Um, let me, again, just, just because of time here, let me move on. Another person wrote this, that it'd be powerful if someone from the black community, especially a known leader, uh, would stand before us and say, I forgive you for what you've done. So instead, I think their point there is instead of demanding social justice, uh, their, their question is, wouldn't it go a long way to, for us to hear that we're, we're, we're forgiven by you? And let me quote here something that they wrote and have you respond to this, that the absence of forgiveness destroys relationships. It's impossible to live in the world and not offend someone, and that demands forgiveness. And when there is no forgiveness, there's, there is the mounting up of anger and offenses. How do you respond to that? I don't think it's an unforgiveness problem at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's an abuse problem. And black people are just saying, I can no longer take the abuse. I'm not asking you to take my knapsack, my burden. I'm asking you to help get this boulder off of me. And so I don't know. I mean, you got, I'm sure you got some radical black guys that's angry, but I, and, and, I don't know. Most of my, I mean, the circles I'm in, that nobody, I mean, walking around unforgiving. I don't forget white people. That that's just not the reality. That's just not reality at all. 
I, I mean, I don't know any of this if a white person, man, you know, I'm just sorry for what was done. And I just want, I mean, and, and I've got seen this in my own particular heart. I just want you to forgive me. And that person's going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I just don't yeah. know that person. Well, again, appreciating the fact that I, I believe that there are, uh, again, I, there's nothing specifically I'm basing this, but uh, I, I think the reaction from the white, uh, maybe even the evangelical church is, it seems like they're angry at us that we've not done enough and we should have been doing more. And I think that's where that comes from is like, okay, if we, if we have done something to you, would you express your forgiveness to us and that there could be uh, healing from that? But that, that, I, I love your perspective there, that there, isn't, there doesn't seem to be that harboring of, of, of unforgiveness. Um, okay. Another question here. Sorry to move on too qu- quickly here. I think well, we- let me say this that, that, again. Yeah, the anger ahead. is if there is anger, the anger is every time I bring up an issue about something, mm-hmm. the Fox talking points come up as to mm-hmm. why it's not so. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Um, another question here. Um, someone mentioned, and I'll, I'll kind of put my own, thoughts into this as well, that life is hard. Uh, you know, you know my story, uh, you know, cancer, three members of my family uh, having had cancer. I, I had a very hard childhood. Uh, life is not fair. Um, what do you do with that? That, again, for everybody, there's hardship. And in fact, one, one guy wrote this. He said, uh, I'm a Jew, and we know something about being treated bad. And I myself endured, he says, a terrible childhood because of how I was treated for 15 years. Guess what? I'm not blaming people who uh, did that to me. And I'm not protesting constantly about anti-Semitic Gentiles. Um, how do you hear that? How do you, how respond, do you respond to that? To that? We, yes, life is hard and life is tough. And we all have personal responsibilities. But when there's a systemic problem that's well-documented, well-documented, that's not been corrected, the best attempts at correction we've had was the Civil Rights Bill. And, um, and then, you know, before that, you had the 13th, 14th, 15th um, Amendment. Those were, those were attempts to try to correct uh, a systemic problem. You know, this is a real-life monopoly game. And make no bones about it, though this thing has spiritual and theological uh, underpinnings. Sure. Uh, this, the discrimination and the racism has to do with class and, and has, to do, has to do with money, economics. And um, as long as there is such an injustice in the system and disparities in the system that were a part of the original creation, because the system it's putting out exactly what it's supposed to be put out on how it, how it was how it was designed. Then we'll have problems. Let me tell yeah. you what I'm talking about. So I think I mentioned earlier, or may have been another may have been another podcast. Yeah, you and I did do another podcast, by the way, about yes. two years ago. <laughs> yes. Well, 100 percent of the nation's resources, the nation's power. Okay was handed lock, stock, and barrel into the dominant white society, period. The Supreme Court became the keeper of that. Go back and check the Supreme Court rulings. The white black man has no right that the white white man is bound to respect, right? And this has been in the system. If you check today and just did a forensic study of the economy today, you will see all the money, all the resources, you will still see 87% of the resources are still lock, stock, and barrel in the 
dominant white society. And so that's a problem. That's number one. Number two, when you look at black people at the eve of the Civil War, or, or, or right after the Civil War, black people had uh, owned about one half of one percent of the resources in the nation. Okay, let me let me uh, again. I I know where I understand. I think we chatted a little bit about this towards the beginning, but let me because I I can hear people saying it sounds like what you're calling for, and and so in in someone's mind, perhaps they're hearing okay to Reggie, social justice is that we need to redistribute this. We need to make it right by seeing equity. And I think you and I, before we hit record, and you asked me what I, how I define social justice, I talked about the difference, as I've heard it, between equality and equity, that equity uh, has to factor in uh, the, the oppressed, the disadvantaged. So for equity to happen, uh, you, you have to also consider what, what has been deprived for, you know, decades or centuries. Um, so again, it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it would sound, I think, to, to people that, to Reggie, okay, there's this injustice, the imbalance of power and money. What is the solution here? And again, how does the gospel, because again, as, I, as, as a question started here, life is unfair. It, it's, it's horribly unfair. It has been to me. And, this, and the Jewish pastor, uh, is, is, this is personal to him. You know? And I think, I think to him, it's, it's like, okay, I, I've, I've had to battle this myself, but I've, I've embraced it. The gospel has helped me to embrace it. So speak to him here. Yeah, uh, yeah, but to, and to so his pain to, and also his confusion here on the sort of the 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 difference in how his his culture is responding to what he's seeing the black community responding. Well, well thank you very much again. And so what I'm trying mm-hmm. to do is point <laughs> out a systemic problem. You know, we we keep trying to take it personal. You see, the uh, George Floyd was killed by a person and a system, right? And see, white people keep trying to take it personal personal, 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 individual, because that's how you've been culturalized, right? But it's bigger than personal. So what I'm trying to give you is the field that we're all operating in. Mm-hmm. And so it go, well, you got it's such poverty in the black people, people and blacks kill so many, you know, uh, 80 something, 90 something percent of black people kill black people, you know, and then got to go, well, 83% of white people kill white people. You kill people who you live in proximity to. But how, where are we living? How do we get in there? How do ghettos come to be? What does red line play with it? Play, it, you know, it's a big system. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fascinating. I, I agree. Yeah. Well, you, you understand? And so, oh, absolutely. Yes. There, there are, we, we don't, we, we don't solve the problem at the fruit level. We solve it at the root level. And so when I'm laying down the stats, immediately there's a defense. So, so you're calling for socialism in the, in the, for us to take and give back. Now what I'm, what I'm trying to establish, first of all, before we try to find a solution, is to define the problem well. One third of it is defining the problem well, and then two thirds of how do we so we um, we fix the problem, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, the Bible says, "He who stole let him steal no more," right? And uh, you know, there are also scriptures of deal to deal with people who took st- something in the wrong way and how they are to, mm-hmm. to 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 deal that. So we're not deal with that. So we're not talking about some mystery or something that the scripture doesn't tell us how to deal with it. We just choose not to deal with it like that. But be that as a case, I'm trying, May, I'm trying to lay out 
Mitch, a case in point of a system that still uh, functions that, you know, that way. Um, in many ways, I was just reading something this morning about uh, the fair housing deal, right? And I'm, again, I'm trying to establish my point of a system. And it says like, okay, and, 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 and it reads like this. So let's take about red, talk about redlining. The average white person would say, hey, you know, Bob, golly gee, uh, we passed a law uh, in 1968 in the Fair Housing Act to to deal with redlining, right? Well, fast forward 40 years and in 2018 investigation by uh, the Center for Responsible Lending found that black applicants were turned away for loans at a significantly higher rate than whites in 48 of the United States cities, right? And so, <laughs> you know, this, the system is still um, unjust in many ways and unjust and there's injustice in many ways. So yeah, and I so and I guy, think uh, I think everyone would agree with that. And and you're I don't know about that. Well, that that ain't what I see when I'm responding. When I see what like, what I see with many of my Caucasian brothers yeah. is like all things are equal. Now we uh, we elected the black president and we have a couple of black senators. Now what's the problem, bud? Yeah. Well, the problem yeah. is to the problem is listen. Uh, five, uh, uh, hundreds of years later, there's still blacks on still less than one percent. Yeah, of the yeah, in the I, and and this is why this conversation is so helpful because it, it it's uh, again one of my goals was to uh, hopefully you appreciate the perspective that we have and the mm -hmm. desire that we have to uh, to understand you know what it's been like for you and and um and your family as, as well as your your culture if i can use that term um reggie this how has i can imagine you when you talk about systems and you know historically how you know we are who we are today because of uh, you know th the way things have the patterns through through history generations past how how has ephesians 2 encouraged you you know because it does talk about you know you were dead in your transgressions and sins you used to live uh, when you follow the ways of this world, ruler of the kingdom of the air, spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Because you know, when you talk about these systems, it comes out of evil, it comes out of uh, sinful generations. Um, and then it, it later, as you know, you know we're, Christ is, is our peace, uh, who's broken down the dividing walls. And then later, as you know, it talks about uh, Jews and Gentiles reconciled. And I'd, I'd like to kind of steer this as we wrap up, just how that has encouraged you. Again, how the gospel has given you perspective and hope, maybe a dose of realism as well, as we talked about earlier. Uh, you know, there's, as we strive, I love your analogy that, uh, uh, you know, you know, you're going to die and go to heaven, but you still eat well. You know, it's, mm -hmm. we still, we're still mm -hmm. to do the best we can. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, just mm -hmm. reflect on, on how you have been encouraged by Ephesians 2. Uh, and then the last, let's wrap yeah. up with, with me asking you, where, where do you feel like this is going? What are the next months okay. and years going to look like? Well, you know, let me, I started off very naive, thinking that people believe the Bible. Christians, mm -hmm. I thought they believed. And I was very naive to think that when it says that we're all one in Christ and, the, you know, the new man and uh, our citizenship, you know, Colossians talked about that. Um, and then I started pastoring a church in Gainesville, Georgia, and I found out that that was, that was kind of like the old guys in the past, right? Mm -hmm. It was said to the, to the former slaves, 
you, we might be together in heaven, but we're not going to be here on earth. And so there became a period of disillusionment and discouragement um, as I was slugging uh, it out. I remember my, um, my coach asking me a question. He said, Reg, he said, you have the skills to have a very large black church or you, and, and you have the skills to have a decent sized white church, a smaller, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a mixed church. He said, because if you go multicultural, you would think it would be a shotgun approach, but it's much more like a rifle approach because there's a lot of people that don't want that, right? Right, And right. so uh, just slugging it out for the last 25, 30 years, I mean, I was very encouraged by Mick Knoll, you know, coming into the office. and um, yeah, He's um, the district superintendent for yes. our denomination, this district. Yes. I, I, I always tell people, Reggie, that my – I have two listeners. One is Christian Missionary Alliance. The other one isn't. So sometimes we have to explain these terms and, and also people that we mention. Yeah. So, he, he, you know, Mick has come in and the DEXCOM, which is the District Executive Co- uh, Committee, which is the highest kind of legislative mm-hmm. uh, in the I mean, executive body in the district. You know, it's more, it's, it's, it has more blacks. And uh, so right now, uh, you have a Haitian brother, Rob, Rob you have a, a, you know, a medical doctor, black brother, myself, you have Hispanic, you got Asian, you got white. He's been intentional in doing something like that. So I've seen it lived out in the last 10 years, and that's brought me some encouragement. Um, I'm still somewhat very skeptical on, you know, when I see a lot of social media, the p- very people who will come against uh, this whole idea of social justice would mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. a lot of our white Christian brothers, uh, brothers, you know, pastors yeah. and, and leaders. And they're, uh, most of them are 40 and over. I'm very encouraged that the younger generation, the younger pastors are much more. They have what we call when, when we uh, practice cultural intelligence. You know, there's something called we call cultural intelligence drive, which they have a level of interest and intent. Um, and um, perseverance, and they they are gaining confidence on how to communicate well across multicultural lines and live this out. And they have a, uh, a what we call the second quadrant is CQ knowledge, cultural intelligence knowledge, where they have an understanding about how they're learning even more about how the cultures are dis- different and how to affirm the dignity of every human being. And then they're, they're getting to the third quadrant, what is called culture intelligence uh, uh, strategy where they are uh, ability to bring strategies to move toward the beloved community like Martin Luther King talked about, right? And, and to take action and willing to adapt and, and, and not have one culture dominate something. So I'm encouraged mm-hmm. with a younger generation that just says, no, we, we see this in the Bible and we're going to live this out instead of doing the theological uh, tap dancing to and, and staying yeah, in that, our homogeneous yeah, that's, enclave. That, that is encouraging. I agree with you. I, I see that as well. So again, Reggie, how, how has, uh, again, this was the tension, the issue in, in Ephesus. Paul was bringing the gospel, was bringing theology into this. Um, and he wasn't saying this is a potential that there can be peace and the two groups become one, destroying the barrier. Uh, he is stating a reality and, and what you're calling for is, uh, you know, I love your emphasis, like this is true in heaven, but 
it isn't here. I mean, that's, that's sad. Uh, and mm-hmm. that comes out of individual, uh, and, and I, I agree with you collectively, a, a sinful mm-hmm. uh, approach or perspective. So, so again, how, back, back to Ephesians 2, how, how has it encouraged you personally? What keeps you close to Christ in all of this? Because you, you've talked a lot He's about frustration. You've talked a lot He's about frustration from the outside. You've talked about what you wish what people were getting but not getting. But let's Jesus, end here, yeah. Reggie's heart, what's going on there that keeps Jesus you- loves me as I am. Okay. Right. And awesome. Jesus never discriminates from me, uh, against me. Um, mm-hmm. He's the one that, he doesn't say the poor you're going to always have with you. And, mm-hmm. and then and make that an excuse for not doing anything. Yeah, he, he still says, reached out to the poor. He yeah. said, blessed. You know, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for I have come to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor, to the healed, the brokenhearted, to mm-hmm. loose the bands and bounds of those who are stuck in prison, right, in prison. And, and so I love Jesus, and, and he's the God of equity. And uh, Ben Franklin was right. He said, I shudder to think when a God of justice will do to us for what we have done. Mm. I'm paraphrasing. So he's a God of justice and he hears the cry. So I am so encouraged about Jesus and he's forming a body. And, and, and you know what? It must come to pass. We, we will sooner or later have to live in to what he wants because he yeah. always gets what he wants. Yeah. Well, your, your, your voice to this is, is needed, Reggie, and, and it's been encouraging. And uh, I, it's just been really you know, encouraging to me to be able to have a hard conversation together. Uh, and thank you for answering the questions that, that people submitted and, uh, and understanding that, that this is where people are. This is how they're viewing it. And I think this, uh, I believe, will be very helpful uh, to, to all of us. Um, any final thoughts here as you, as we wrap up? Yeah. Final thoughts. One, uh, back to my Jewish brother, if he were living in up, uh, under a system like, uh, that, uh, still will oppress like, uh, they did in Germany, he wouldn't dare make that st- statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing with, with, uh, you know, the Egyptian days. Um, that's number one, number, that's, that's number one. Number two, uh the cow is not going back in the barn right what we're seeing is the beginning of a movement you cannot explain it any other way um a lot of my brothers can talk they can keep attacking the black lives move black lives matter movement and forget what is really what really the, the conversation started on was black lives matter right Mm-hmm. Black people matter. If you want to put two on there, you could put black people matter too. I don't care how you say it, mm-hmm. but the killing, killing in the streets, you're not going to be able to explain it away by your stats. You're not going to be able to explain it away by just having a theological conversation. It's not going to be tolerated anymore by the young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just black people. It's millions and millions of white people as well across the world. So it's not going back in the box. If we as a church want to have credibility, we must do like they did in the days when the Rome, when the plague hit Rome and it was less than 1% Christian. Everybody who was about that stuff, the aristocrats in the Rome and all those people and people who had stuff, 
they ran away from the city. It was the Christians who ran into the city and risked life and limb. Many of them died as mm. serving the people who the plague hit. And I believe somewhere it was the emperor said he, he, he was taken by the fact of the Christians' activity. It's going to be time for us. It's time now for us to quit running away from the social is- issues in the name of we have the pure gospel that just gets people to heaven and embrace the whole gospel for the whole man. Start listening at what people say. Ask God to break our heart. What if your children were getting killed and murdered in the streets? What, what if that were your kids doing like that? I promise you, you will be broken over it. It will not be some cold, sterile um, conversation about it, man, or some excuse by why it's just. And so if we don't rush into the battle, we will lose our credibility and our influence in this culture with the young people. That's why I want to end that. Mm-hmm. Because awesome. they're not going yeah. back to the same thing. Yeah, This is the yeah. greatest opportunity in the world for the church to stand up. Listen, get off of the donkey, get off of the elephant, get off of the Democratic back, get off of the Republican back, stop being disciples of CNN, stop being disciples of Fox, open our Bible, ask God to break our heart on this deal, and let's, let's in an empathetic way, bring about change to the culture Christ's way. That's mm-hmm. my word. Mm, awesome. Okay. Reggie, thank you for taking the time uh, to do this. Uh, it's been helpful, and we will uh, continue to pray that the, the Lord Jesus, uh, you know, helps all of us to, to navigate through this and, and not forget what happened at the cross. And uh, again, as you said, this is, this is not about yeah. what happens in heaven. It's about what happens here now. Uh, so thank you. Appreciate it very much, my yeah. friend. We are citizens now. Thank you for this oh. opportunity. And uh, people matter to God and they should mm-hmm. matter to us. Mm-hmm. So very everybody. Good. Very good. Bless oh. you, man. Thank, thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. I would encourage you to share this with your friends, with your elders and your pastors. And I, I want to thank you again for listening uh, to this Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we've talked about today on the Before You Quit podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged, be courageous, because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.